2: And This week, we've got a really excellent theme episode that investigates the relationship between cocktails and the places where we drink them. This episode pulls from a number of different sources whom we've interviewed over the first six months of this podcast, and they all talk about their favorite places to enjoy a cocktail. I thought that this was a really appropriately timed episode since today is literally Thanksgiving of 2017 when this episode is first airing and yeah I know you'll probably see it pop up on your phone ignore it until next week because who's listening to podcasts on Thanksgiving but my thinking is that the value of place will be fresh on your mind since so many of us make a pilgrimage back to our family homes during this time of year or have family who have you know, moved somewhere else, come back home to visit us. So the value of place and of people in places is, is definitely going to be kind of on our minds here. And, and maybe we'll also be enjoying some cocktails with those folks while we catch up. So to kind of set the stage here, I'm going to go ahead and say that cocktails are all about context. They're like words in that respect. When was the last time you read an email or a text from someone and you just kind of couldn't quite figure out what they were getting at? It happens this way because emails and written textual interactions are completely devoid of all those little body language and intonation clues that kind of color our in-person verbal interactions and make them easy to understand, even when just the words themselves aren't enough. And the same goes for cocktails. Cocktails are never enjoyed in a vacuum. They're never enjoyed simply on the page of a recipe book. They're always consumed in a particular glass, in a particular place, on a particular day, and with a thousand other particular details like music, company, weather, and mood, all influencing the flavor of the event. This is what separates the intellectual experience of a martini from the visceral, fleeting, and unique individual experience of drinking this martini in this place, with this person, and this ambiance. And that's what we're going to explore today. Normally, at this point in the episode, I encourage you to make yourself a drink. But today, I think my challenge to you is like today's guests, to envision your favorite place to drink a cocktail. And yeah, you might have a few, but I'd encourage you to ask what those places share in common and what makes them unique from one another and from all the other places in the world where you could theoretically pull up a drink. Today's guests are in no particular order. Charlie Birkinshaw of Element Trub, Josh Wolf of the Wolf Cocktail Den, Maria Littlefield of the Owls Brew, which is a cocktail mixers company based in New York, Chris Kurtz from Socktails.co, Valerie Echeveste from Cocktails and Craft, and Alex Luboff of the Speaking Easy podcast. All these folks have really interesting takes on the relationship between cocktails and place, and so we're going to jump right in here. With some opening thoughts from our friend Alex
3: Luboff. I guess my my favorite place to drink a cocktail, um, you know, I, I've, I, there's a, a one bar that I particularly love, and it's a very small bar. There's barely 20 seats in the whole place. They've got two bartenders, so that's kind of nice um, because you know it's always quick. Um, and that's but that's not what I really love about it. What I love about it is it's it's dark. You're very focused on the person right in front of you or next to you. You're very... It's a very intimate space, and, um... The drinks are phenomenal, which is I think helpful for maybe being one of my favorite cocktail bars. Would this happen to be a second floor bar? This is a
2: second floor bar. Interesting. Yeah. You would, would, have... the, would the cocktails all happen to be the same price? Uh,
3: yes, they would. Really? It's yes. very I, I've interesting. Never, I've never heard of a bar like that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I think that's what's so what's so great about it is. Just that it it, it is it, even though it is you know very well done and and in a way fancy it's not pretentious at all um, and I think that's what makes a really great place to to drink a cocktail is a place you're comfortable you don't feel like you're putting on a show even if the bartender is um, you know and there's something to say you know for you know for like what we talk about all the time with home bartending that. Yeah, I mean, you can make, create that same atmosphere, but in a way, or you know, I think we're kind of chasing that, that kind of feeling of. It's almost effortless how you know how exciting uh, a place like that is to, to drink and so yeah, that would and be a, my favorite. A,
2: of course, we're only throwing out compliments here, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and drop the name. It's yeah. it's Copycat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> here here on on Eighth Street in Washington DC, and <laughs> interestingly enough, the first place that that I met yeah. the, the guys from the Speaking Easy podcast. Exactly. So. I just
3: finished a 16 hour day uh, working in the election <laughs> polls, right. and I was <laughs> yeah, wow. I was delusional, and it was still relaxing and. Inviting and the food they have, the little food, and it's just that to me, again, you know, it just they just bring so much, and and everything is just so well done. And again, it's not about them being super cool; it's about them just being a great place to hang out and, and talk to people around you. One of the things I like about Alex's take on a really
2: excellent cocktail bar is the way that the place makes the interactions easier. There's this idea of alcohol as a quote unquote, social lubricant, kind of helping people relax, have a good time. But I think the same could be said of a really excellent place to drink a cocktail. If the setting's right and the mood is intimate and relaxed, it's way easier to have those really genuine experiences with people you care about. That's kind of where that effortless feeling comes from that Alex was describing. Maria Littlefield also has some thoughts on what a really great, intimate cocktail setting looks like.
1: My favorite place to drink a cocktail really just generally is anywhere, um, especially during the colder months, anywhere that's like a little bit cozier. I love to like duck into small cocktail bars and hang out. But in particular, there is one place right by my apartment. It's called um, the Marlton Hotel, and it's a little boutique hotel in New York that um, is right by Washington Square Park. And they just have the coziest, most lovely atmosphere. There's a fireplace in the winter. Um, there's a little bar in the front and like big kind of like oversized stuffed chairs that you can kind of duck into with friends. Um, and they have an excellent cocktail menu. And I have to say that that is definitely my, my favorite place to duck in for a cocktail. It's pretty. It's dark, but it has like a really nice ambiance, a lot of candles lit. Um and, uh, the bartenders are always, you know, dressed to the nines and very professional. And, uh, my favorite cocktail there is actually called the Greenwich project. Um, and it's, uh, it's like a citrus bourbon cocktail. It's, um, it's really tasty. It's, it's bourbon and lemon and honey, um, with some fresh herbs and things like that. So, Good for all seasons, if you ask me.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When I think of New York, I think of streets, busy streets with people walking by. Is this, uh, the, you said it's the Marlton Hotel? It's called the Marlton Hotel, yeah. Is this a place where you kind of go to kind of escape that for a little bit, or is this a place where you can kind of still engage with what's going on outside?
1: It's definitely mellow. Um, uh, I think as many New Yorkers will say, you t- you try to at all costs avoid the craziness of the crowds in New York. So this is, um, it's really small. Um, it's, it's on 8th Street, which is, I mean, it's, a, it's res- there's stores and things, but it's much more residential area. It's not like a ton of high rises. This is mostly like Brownstones. I think the hotel itself is only like five flights or something like that. So it's much more low key. Um, So I definitely go in to not be bombarded with crowds.
2: A fire in the wintertime, overstuffed chairs, candles, bartenders dressed to the nines. These are the hallmarks of an extremely curated cocktail experience. And the word curate comes from the Latin cura, meaning care. A curated cocktail experience is one where the person in charge has taken great care to fine-tune all the little details from start to finish that really impact the mood and shape of your cocktail setting. But here's a question. What if you're the sort of person like Charlie Birkinshaw who wants things to be a bit more interactive when it comes to enjoying a well-made drink? I really just like sitting at a bar that is well-lit and being able to see how The bartender is interacting with the other people at the bar, how they're making their drinks and just kind of learning, but also observing and being next to people that also seem excited about doing the same thing. Chris Kurtz from Socktails.co is also in this camp. He's highly attuned, not only to the physical setting, but to the magic and mechanics of what's going on behind the bar to create his cocktails.
0: actually i love drinking cocktails at home i love making them but when it comes down to the most enjoyable place it's sitting at a a real cocktail bar like a really good cocktail bar and watching someone who's so good at it make the drink Uh, there's something to the allure about being at a bar and them putting ingredients in there that you might know the flavor profile but you don't know exactly what it is and you see all these dropper bottles and you see these homemade liqueurs and fresh juices it really it makes you think and I, I actually like not knowing what's in a drink and tasting it and and smelling it and kind of putting my own uh, uh, view of like what I think is in that drink and then even even having a conversation if it's, if it's that kind of bar to, to talk to them and talk about where the idea of this drink came in um, and as, as you know I'm not a professional bartender. So anytime I can learn from people who do this day in and day out, uh, people who are real experts, uh, that's that's exactly where I want to be when I'm enjoying a cocktail.
2: It's really interesting. It seems like it seems like what you're describing is almost a paradox. You're saying that that you kind of like not knowing what's in the cocktail. It seems like there's a sense of mystery there for you. But then on the flip side of it, it seems like there's also a part of you that is really curious and wants detail.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, it doesn't even make sense to me as, as you're saying that, but it's, um, something about, I mean, like we talked before just about when, when someone else cooks a meal, um, and even though you might see all the ingredients, you don't know the preparation that went into it. And there's just something special about that, uh, that all the work that goes into that and, you're kind of the beneficiary of that. I just, I appreciate that so much. And, and of course, at the same time, using it as a learning experience, uh, is, it's just amazing to me.
2: So it seems like we've got some people who like to focus on the place, the details of the setting, and then other folks who are insatiably curious and jump at the opportunity to learn something from a more experienced bartender. But what about people who are more seasonally driven when it comes to what and where they prefer to drink? Take Josh Wolf for example. For me, it all depends on context. It depends on the weather. It depends on the mood. It depends on the ambiance. I mean, as an example, if it's really, really warm weather, I'm on a beach, probably it's going to be a rum-based libation, something clear, spirited. If it's colder, depending on where I am, maybe a clear spirit, for example, vodka based. If it's somewhere northern, very north of the, uh, you know, uh, northern hemisphere, it could be that. It could be darker spirit, it could be whiskey based, but it all depends on context. That to me is key. We see here the influence that seasonality has on our cocktail preferences, and this is a real phenomenon that we're all probably familiar with as the seasons are changing here in the Northern Hemisphere from fall to winter. This trend translates across human experience. Think about the rhythms and cycles of various religious calendars. Think about the importance of certain solstices and equinoxes to the ancient peoples who created Stonehenge and built the pyramids. The predictable changing of the seasons is something that gives a sense of order and comfort. And so it makes sense that our cocktail preferences ebb and flow according to the weather we experience when we step outside our door. Valerie Echeveste of Cocktails and Craft has a great take on this seasonal approach to cocktails.
4: My favorite place in D.C. to drink a cocktail is definitely Any rooftop. I feel like there are beautiful rooftops here and many of them have wonderful cocktails, especially in the summer or springtime. I love to get on a rooftop with some friends and have a nice, refreshing cocktail. Um, I'm thinking of like gin and like refreshing, like sour cocktails or a Kentucky Mule on a warm spring day with a nice breeze. Um, That is just sounds really pleasant to me. Um, also, when it starts getting cooler and uh, I'm looking for a warmer place, I really love a good cozy spot. Um, I just went to Red Hen for dinner over in Bloomingdale and they have like a wonderful and just a nice warm room where you can see like wood that they're using for their fire um, and just enjoying and feeling that coziness with a, with a more warm season cocktail is really just special. Um, And that leads me to my ideal place for a cocktail, which is at home in Arizona in the wintertime, outside near a fire pit. Um, So me and Stephanie, who's the other, who's really the brains behind cocktails and craft, um, our parents have like a, a fire pit outside and just sitting out there with a nice cocktail Um, is really, really special, especially because me and Stephanie are now the ones that make the cocktails for everyone. So to be able to share a cocktail that we really love with our parents or and or family um, is really just nice.
2: So there you have it, folks. Six different takes on the relationship between cocktails and place. I'm going to wrap up this episode with a quirky little story about a sign I intend to hang in my own home bar when I'm at the point in my life when I can actually dedicate an entire room for that purpose. And hopefully, this illustrates the way that I think about my ideal place to drink a cocktail, which is basically anywhere I can find a sense of refuge and rejuvenation. The sign would say this. Here are your waters and your watering place. Drink and be whole again beyond confusion." These are the last two lines of Robert Frost's poem Directive, in which Frost's wily narrator takes the reader on a journey back in memory to a place that is basically New England's version of a ghost town. And the narrator of the poem is clearly familiar with this place, because he's almost like a tour guide for the reader, showing you the little cellar holes where there used to be houses, And then uncovering little signs of civilization, like some broken dishes where children had a little playhouse. He's leading the reader back to a simpler time, saying, Weep for what little things could make them glad. And then at the end of the poem, the speaker reveals his secret, leading you to a little stream near this cluster of abandoned cellar holes and saying, I have kept hidden in the instep arch of an old cedar at the waterside a broken drinking goblet like the grail, under a spell so the wrong ones can't find it. I stole the goblet from the children's playhouse. Here are your waters and your watering place. Drink and be whole again beyond confusion. Directive is a poem all about the echoes we hear in memory. It's a poem about how the world changes all around us and even things as solid as a house can vanish almost before our eyes. It's sometimes in these moments, I think, when I personally feel most overwhelmed. When the world's spinning and everything seems to be changing beyond my control. But Frost's speaker has the antidote. It's it's a little broken cup from a children's playhouse. It's a symbol of simpler times. And Frost gives you the secret to unlocking and drinking in those memories that can help clear your head and feel rejuvenated. Kind of like a cocktail after a hard day. And that's why I want those words to hang above my bar when someday I can build one in my home. I want people to know it's a place where they can come for refuge and rejuvenation in the form of good cocktails and good company. I'd like to thank our guests on this episode for being great company and for sharing their insights with us. And I hope you get the chance to take a moment the next time you enjoy a cocktail and look around and drink in the scenery, whatever that may look like. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us follow us on instagram at modern bar cart for recipes and great product tips or stalk me personally at quixologist that's q u i x you can also like us on facebook by searching modern bar cart or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.